I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan, and you can get me on Twitter at JakeJackman with two Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm a Leicester City fan. You can get me on Twitter at JimNightTweets. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Jake, great to have you back after not so long a period of time. Jim, great to have you back after quite a period of time, but uh, a delight to speak with you both for sure. Something that's slightly less delighting uh, for me personally is that Arsenal uh, are going to end this match week top of the table with neither Liverpool or Manchester United capable of reaching first place. Uh, They've obviously looked really good to start the season. Uh, I was just curious uh, from you guys, your thoughts on on this Arsenal start and, and how much we're buying into it. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one because Arsenal obviously um, had quite a good year last year. It was sort of sandwiched with disappointment. They obviously starting the season with those first three defeats and then ending it, um, failing to get into the Champions League after being in the top four for so long. But it, for, for the most part, they were very consistent and very good. Um, so it's quite impressive in a way to see them bounce back and sort of start the season well, uh, especially with the young squad they've got. I think they've added well. I think Vinchenko and you know, Jesus, whatever you might think of them at City, uh, you don't play as much for City as they did without being very, very good. I think we're seeing that now on a slightly lower scale. So obviously Arsenal are not where City are. Uh, they can play every week and they are they do look a step above a lot of the players in that Arsenal team, you can tell that they've definitely taken Arsenal to a new level that, that, that they previously didn't have, uh, which is impressive, to be fair, because they, Aubameyang and Lacazette, wherever you might think of them, were two very good strikers, but Jesus just looks like a, a step above both of them um, in the way he brings everybody else into play and, and scores goals himself. Um, his passing in the final zone is so good for a striker. Um, yeah, you, you kind of look back and think maybe why didn't he play more for City? But I guess that just that speaks to the, the quality of City and, and what Guardiola wants. But yeah, Arsenal, they've started really well. I think Arteta, is, is, I think he's, I mean, a couple of years ago, we might have spoken about him in the same um, breath as, as Lampard and Solskjaer. But I think he's shown he's got a lot more about him than both of those. Uh, he does look to be a really good tactician. He looks... Um, for anybody that's watched the Amazon documentary, it looks like he, he, he does have quite a good bond with his players. He's quite personable, uh, despite not looking like that in the media. He does look like he, he's quite well respected and he has that hard edge to him as well. So he, he, he'd come across really well in that. And, and you can just see the way he's built the team, built the squad, um, the way Arsenal now play. He's he's done a really, really good job. And they do look, they just look like they're in a really good place. And they're just so consistent. And and yeah, it's difficult. I mean, it is an Arsenal, so I'm sure at some point they're gonna they're gonna have a an Arsenal moment, and it'll be interesting to see if they if they 
can deal with that better than they have in the past. But they just look to be in a really good place. They've got a really good first eleven. They've got a good, uh, a good squad of people pushing. Um, outside of that as well, you've got the likes of Smith Rowe can't get in the team at the moment. Tierney's not in the team. Um, Tommy Asu's not in the team. So they've got a really, really good squad. And yeah, it just looks really positive for them. It's obviously only three games, but we saw the struggles Liverpool had against Palace. Uh, they sort of Arsenal dealt with them quite straightforwardly on the first day. I thought uh, Palace had a couple of chances, but that was only when Arsenal were, were leading. Uh, Arsenal um, for the first 20, 30 minutes of that game was excellent. Obviously did very well against Leicester. Jim know a little bit more than me on that one, but yeah, they, they, they performed well there. And then, and then against Bournemouth, it was just quite a straightforward routine win that you'd expect from a, a team that one of the best teams in the country. It was, just, it was just very well done. So yeah, I'm really impressed with them. Um, it's still early days and we've seen how they've sort of had off moments in the past under our tips. But you think with the signings they've made that, that it's difficult to see them not returning to the Champions League at this point. Obviously, a lot can change. I'd expect Chelsea, Manchester United, uh, Liverpool um, and Tottenham all to, to, to get better. But yeah, I think Arsenal just look really strong and, and they definitely look like the form team to me at the moment. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Jake said there. I think the Amazon All or Nothing documentaries kind of added to the interest in them this year. Obviously, they've started three out of three, so they're getting a lot of plaudits anyway. But I think it's interesting to see behind the scenes. And this time last year, they were bottom of the table, zero points, having lost all three of their opening games. So there's a contrast there, I guess. It's kind of very much chalk and cheese in the, the start. Um, that they've had compared to last year but they did finish relatively well last year like yeah okay gutted they didn't get top four but for the most part after that really iffy beginning they were really kicking on well and I think there's a few things with Arsenal like they've always been quite good or recently been quite good at beating like the middling teams and I think I can include Leicester in that we'll talk about them more later I guess but uh, it is a game where Arsenal should be winning um, I think especially at home if they they have ambitions to be a top four team this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how it is um, that their form develops when they play, say, the bigger boys. Um, they've got a relatively kind fixture list. They've got Fulham, Villa, Man United, and I'll make that game what you will, but then Everton, Brentford, and then they play Tottenham the 1st of October, and then they've got Liverpool and Man City in their next four games after that. So it will be a tough period, but then if they've got a lot more wins under their belt, then, you know, they might be in a position where they don't have to win those games to retain a top four or place. So it'll be interesting to see um, how they're developing. Jay makes a good point about the, the strength and depth. I also think from an English perspective, there's a lot of relatively young English players in their team as well, which I think makes them not a neutral's choice, but makes them easy to like. If they're playing attractive football, you've got a, a spine of English players Um young English players as well. You can kind of see where some of the future of England's talent is going to come from in Saka and Smith Rowe, maybe Ramsdale, you know, and Ben White as well at back. So it's it's a really interesting team. And I think Arteta is quite likeable. Jake said he comes across quite well and he, he's kind of stepping out from behind Pep Guardiola's shadow, albeit with kind of definite imprints of, of what he does um, on his style and his approach. And, you know, the... I wouldn't say they're, they're title contenders necessarily, but they're genuine top four contenders. And with the amount of teams that we expect to improve slash do relatively well this year, two, at least two teams that we expect are going to miss out. And that in itself, you know, is is a really interesting prospect. So 
we'll have to see how they um, how they go in October. But they've certainly got a good head of steam at the moment. You brought up an interesting point there, which is uh, maybe after Jake's Newcastle side just pulled off a, a really impressive draw and looked the better side for stretches of that match. Um, maybe the title race isn't as close as we assumed coming into the season. Obviously, City just dropping points, Liverpool already with two draws. Uh, is there a chance for a club like Arsenal or somebody else to maybe sneak in there and at least make it you know, more competitive than it's been the past few years? Um. Possibly, I think when you look at the Premier League now, you look at you look at every single squad. The the, level, the quality of player that that plays in this league is so high now. Even if you look down the table, you look at Everton have just signed Onana, who's who's very well thought of in Europe. Um, Nunes has gone to Wolves, who many thought w- would have been a contender to get to Liverpool or play for a, a team in the Champions League, challenging for that, and he's gone to Wolves. Um, and and even Fulham getting Jao Paulinha, who who's a Portuguese international, you just get this technical quality throughout the leagues and throughout the whole league. It's so it's it's definitely the strongest it has ever been. Um, and maybe the top teams are still still far and beyond, but there is a lot of good players throughout the division, like we saw today in, in our game against City. Um, seeing um, Bruno Gimmarish and, and Joel Linton and Saint Maximan going up against that Man City team. Um, I mean, they, they may, you could make an argument for maybe Bruno being at that level, um, and the other two show flashes. But today they were they were more than equal to that City team on their performance today, and and I think that every team has players like that. Um, yeah, I just think it's the money that's coming to the Premier League is it's now the. I guess it's it is a super legal in all but name really. Um, I think that the, the the other European leagues can see where it's going. The fact that um, you know Wolves can go and sign the players that they can. Obviously, there's reasons for that, but even so, to be able to attract players like that, um, and we often see you know mid-table Premier League teams beating you know the likes of AC Milan to signing, and it's just. Yeah, it's difficult to know if that will. I think that I think it will be more competitive this year. I think we went for a period of the top six always sort of well. On, there was fewer the, the shocks were getting fewer and far in between. But I think this year we might see a few more of them. Um, and I think that's more to do with the rest of the league getting stronger than it is the, the top two getting worse or the top top six getting worse. Like you saw, Manchester United just got absolutely outplayed by Brentford and Brighton the week before. Like you just that just wouldn't have happened before. Like Man United could be very poor and inconsistent and still beat those, you know, the, the sort of lower mid-table teams, but they just can't do that anymore because of the, the quality of the coach and the quality of the player. Um, in terms of going on to challenge, I definitely think Arsenal um, and Tottenham are the two that you think are the, are the strongest um, below the below the uh, Liverpool and City. It'd be interesting to see if maybe a Brighton uh, and Newcastle can get in there and try and challenge them. Um, I think Chelsea look a little bit. It's difficult to know where they're going at the moment. They obviously played. I, I was really impressed them against Tottenham last week, but today they were so ordinary. Um, so yeah, it's, it's difficult. I still think it's going to be Liverpool and City, and it's probably going to be two of the three London clubs completing the top four. But you know, maybe there will be a, a surprise. So many teams are just so well coached in the, in this league that there is, you know, it's a cliche. There is no easy game, but it's. it's Every game's becoming so much harder now. Like we've seen Fulham come up, and they look like they're, they're a very well coached team and got some players that can carry a threat. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I think it's 
it's a it's just I think it's the strongest the league has been for a long time and and, and you can just see that in the, the, the quality of player that go, going lower down the league. Like ten years ago you wouldn't have got a Bruno Gamares going to a Newcastle regardless of the, the, the ownership or you wouldn't have seen Nunes go to Wolves like um or Paulinho go to a, a newly promoted team like that. These are players that should be playing in the Champions League and they're going to to lower down the Premier League just purely because of the the prestige of the competition and the money on offer. So yeah, I think it's I think we'll see more shocks, but you're probably going to see the same team finish where you think they would. But um, yeah, maybe there'll be a, a surprise or two. Um, so we've seen West Ham do it in the last couple of years. We've seen Leicester do it before. Maybe there'll be a, a new name that can get up in the top six. But I'd be surprised if if anybody could breach that top four. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be. Um anyone other than the Man City and Liverpool in the top two. But I do think that I would like to think that the competition will be a little bit more open and not so kind of done and dusted by Christmas where you can see a gap emerging and it's just about which team are going to drop any points at all because that will be the difference maker. Like, I think even from a Premier League neutral perspective, I think you'd much rather see a Division 1 by like an... 85, 86, 87 point total rather than like 100 points being needed because two teams are so good compared to the rest and are kind of firing on all cylinders like we've seen the last couple of years with Liverpool and City. But I don't know, maybe this year there's, there's so many variables, like the World Cup throws so many things out um, in the sense of like maybe it's players moving um, to get game time where they, they wouldn't normally because they're trying to get exposure to the national team, whether it's a um, a kind of concertinaed um, squash Champions League group stage, which is being played over fewer weeks rather than previously where you play every two weeks. I think it's the whole six match days are being done in like eight weeks now. So that's going to have an impact. Like it might be a tighter turnaround for a lot of European teams, which hopefully will aid teams like Newcastle or Leicester or Fulham or, you know, Brighton, those teams that, that Jake's talking about potentially kind of being at top six kind of contenders, particularly in the case of, of Brighton and Newcastle on the basis of what we've seen so far. Maybe that will help them because they're not necessarily worried about playing twice a week, whereas more teams will be. Um, and tighter turnarounds, uh, fewer fewer rest days, that kind of thing, which can lead to um, kind of quote-unquote shock results or unexpected results. Um, but yeah, Newcastle obviously pushed City punch for punch today and I think were much the better team for portions of the game. Um, I just hope that kind of trend continues because I'd much rather watch a league, regardless of how Leicester do, that um, isn't kind of a, two teams away and gone by by Christmas, basically. Um, I think it will be interesting. I don't see anyone else necessarily winning it. And like City is so good that we know that the blips, even like last year when they nearly lost to West Ham and came back to a draw like that, those kind of results only happen every now and again. I'm just hoping they're a bit more regular this year compared to the seasons that we've seen the last couple of years, where it's 99, 100 points to, to win a title because uh, as a competition, as a, a product, horrible word but like as a product which is what the Premier League is you really don't want that necessarily because it kind of alienates a lot of the other clubs involved and the support bases of those like you'd much rather see a tighter top four race and a, a genuine title race maybe that isn't decided by halfway through the campaign 
Yeah, we'll see. It certainly isn't a Bundesliga. Uh, no, no insults there, but I'm sure people have already seen the think pieces on like whether or not Dortmund are are like letting down the league by not keeping it close. At least we've had two the past few years, and as you guys say, there there could be. Uh, it might not be as easy for those two this season as it has been in the past. Obviously, Newcastle, one of the clubs that has made things difficult for those. Uh, big two, well, particularly City today. Uh, did you see anything in your performance today, Jake, that you think could be replicated to kind of continue to to try to pick away points from from a club like Manchester City? Um, I think what we saw um, in the game today was that City, obviously, they played with their fullbacks quite high and they sort of tuck into central areas. So there's always space to, to break down the flanks if you've got pace and sort of the power that Newcastle do, but you know, not many teams in the in the league have have players like uh, Joel Linton and Saint Maximan who can go, who can cover a lot of ground and attack with pace and skill. It's so like there's not many players like Saint Maximan, so it's it's perfect for him. But even for him, like he doesn't have days like this very often. He played out of his skin, um, but it could easily have been a day where he was off it. But yeah, it's definitely it's de- that's definitely where you could attack City. But to to get into, to get the ball to even to even get into those situations is so difficult. Like I think I saw, I think we won the ball in the final third nine times today, which is, which is quite high against City. So Newcastle thought we we pressed high and we left ourselves open um, and we took risks and we got rewards. And, and I guess it was the pressure cooker in, in at St James Park with the atmosphere. It just it was the perfect sort of. It was just the perfect storm. I just don't know. It, I think it would be quite difficult to replicate that for other teams. Um, I know we've seen West Ham do it before with Bowen um, getting into those spaces um, and making those runs in behind. Um, so you know, other teams have done it. But, you know, it's it, it, it's it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, and maybe there'll be teams that, that take some sort of, um, they watch it today and try and replicate it. Um, you know, Palace might be a team that can do it. Um, Liverpool might, you know, they could leave Diaz out wide and try and do it that way. I'm sure they'll, I mean, Liverpool have fewer issues with City anyway, but yeah, I can't think of too many um, teams that, that have the, the players and, and the skill to, to even threaten City down there. I think it was, I think it was just a perfect storm today. Uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure people, other managers would be looking at it. Uh, maybe Wolves now with, with Neto and, um, Guedes, maybe they they they'll watch it and think that they can maybe do something similar, especially with the quality they've got in midfield. Um, so yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a blueprint. But at the same time, we saw New City still created so many chances today. Uh, and when we were three one up, like they just turned it on for a good fifteen minutes and delivered one of the, the best fifteen minutes I've seen this season. Uh, I think the Bruyne was absolutely on one for that. So even when everything's going your way against City and you're playing so well. They can still hurt you in so many ways. It's so difficult. Like they, they easily could have won today as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of uh, people taking notes and trying to replicate it. And it's definitely those wide spaces. If you can win the ball back quickly, that you can hurt them. But even so, it, it's very difficult. And even if you do manage to to do everything as well as we did, we still didn't win the game. So it just shows how good City are. Even when they're on, having a bad day, they can still pull out really good period of football and, and, and score a couple of goals quickly as they did today. Yeah, Jim, what did you make of uh, Newcastle today and, and where do you think they could end up? We were talking a little bit before the show and you were pretty impressed. 
yeah, I think it's hard not to be. Um, like Jake says, I'm not expecting everyone to be able to turn up against City and do that every week. But I think Newcastle executed a game plan pretty well. Um, they have the right weapons to to make a challenge of it. Um, not every team has a St. Maximum, for example, that can run into those spaces. Um, the the reincarnation of Joe Linton in central midfield is incredible, considering what, how his kind of Newcastle career started and the way that he's emerged. Um, so yeah, I, I was really impressed with Newcastle. I thought I know it's easy to say because they've spent some money, got some more recognisable players, got obviously very well backed financially now, but they haven't really gone out and spent their full kind of allocation of what they could so far. So I think it's just the next phase of like this this project of building a team. And I know Newcastle fans are ambitious, but after the the Mike Ashley era, I'm sure they'll be happy to kind of just be see the progress and the players. Um, kind of developing and the style um, certainly more attractive now than it was under Steve Bruce and some previous um, managers. But I think that they could be in and around the top six this year. Like I, I granted, we're only three match days in. You can't say too much. But like there's there was nothing today. Obviously, I know it's a very very good performance to base this on. But there's been nothing that I've seen from maybe the other teams that you would expect to be in the top six. Like if you said. West Ham uh, previously like contenders for the top six. Man United, like those two teams are in the bottom three. Like with Leicester, who are potentially another team that people would have pointed to and gone, oh, no European football this year. Been in and around that top six in European football for a, a few seasons now. Maybe they'll kick on. Like yes, Spurs have looked good, Arsenal have looked good, and obviously City and Liverpool. You expect it to dominate, but I don't necessarily. Like if you told me Newcastle finished above Chelsea and got a, a top six place this year, I wouldn't like be blown away. Like I, I think that's relatively realistic with no European football themselves. And if they continue to kind of develop and already how and invest in the squad, if they need some more reinforcements in January, uh, there's absolutely no reason. I, I can't see like a huge gulf in quality now between um, fifth and kind of like ninth or tenth, where I suppose uh, the more pessimistic fans would have probably have been looking. Gotcha. Well, yeah, certainly they've been impressive thus far. And Jake, hope uh, hope things go well for you this season. And obviously we'll touch on them again once we get to the club section. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about my club for a second here uh, to talk about Harry Kane, who got more personal accolades. I know what about the trophies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Twitter has already informed me of such things. Um, but uh, with one goal, Harry Kane broke three records. One, he became the highest scoring goal scorer for any individual club. In Premier League history, he also moved to fourth all-time in Premier League history and goals scored and also scored Spurs' 1,000th Premier League home goal. Uh, Conte, after the match, obviously saying that he'd trade all of these personal accolades. Um, there are larger ones than the ones I just mentioned, but he'd trade all of them for, for league trophies. But it, he's probably going to be the best chance anytime soon to break Shearer's record. How, how are we feeling? Are we thinking that he'll be able to get there? And if so, do you think he'll get there with Spurs? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, he's definitely on track. And, he, you know, I think there was a couple of years ago, people worried that Harry Kane was slowing down. And, but he seems to, you know, he seems to be better than ever now um, and seems to be benefiting from, from Conte's coaching. Um, yeah, he's definitely got a chance. Uh, I think he'd probably benefit from staying at Spurs, I think. Um, we've seen um, other players move. Um, clubs and, and it'll quite work out. Like Lukaku's played for a couple of teams and other teams in the top six, and, and you, you'd expect 
I tend to have worked out both teams that he sort of didn't. Um, I think Kane's obviously at another level. I think he, he would be a successor wherever he went. But it's difficult to um, see where he would go other than Spurs, especially now Spurs back in the Champions League. Like I, I can't really see the reasons why he'd want to to leave. Uh, City were the ones that you, you'd perhaps say, um, yeah, it's worth going to. But they've got Haaland now. Um, they're not going to want him. And yeah, I can't see him at Liverpool. So I don't know why he'd why he'd want to leave Tottenham. Um, so yeah, be, he's still got a lot of goals to get. Like you think, oh, he's getting close now. Um, it's not, you know, he's it's only going to be a matter of time. But it's so difficult. Yeah, seventy-five goals. Yeah, you know, you, you, he'd need you know twenty this season. 20 next, you know, he's probably another another three really good seasons, and then he, he's closing in. Well, he's very close to it then. But it, it, yeah, even that, even that's it's difficult to say with any confidence that he'll do it. I'd I'd, I'd probably say I'm, I think it's he's more likely to do it than not, because I don't think he. But then all it takes is one bad injury. We've seen how quickly players can regress now. Like Rooney did regress quite quickly. Um, because of the amount of football he plays, Kane has obviously played a lot of football too. We've seen Aubameyang; he, he regressed very quickly. Uh, Fernando Torres, like it just—it's so difficult to predict whether players can have that longevity that we've seen Ronaldo have and Lewandowski have. You think that Kane, especially the amount of running he does, he's dropping in deep, um, be England captain, be in Tottenham's main goal, um, main player for so long. Um, Playing so many matches, yeah, he's, he's just got a lot going on. Like you wouldn't be surprised if he did, if it, it did just all take its toll and he, he got, you know, did start to slow down or did um, have a, a serious injury or two. Um, so he's in the right place for it. I think definitely Sarah Tottenham would be beneficial to him. But there's still so many, so many things need to line up for him to break that record. Even now, um, if he continues to play for Tottenham and you know stays fit and plays 25 plus games over the next six or seven seasons he'll do it but yeah it's, it's it might even be that Tottenham get to the point where they want to replace him like that that seems ridiculous to say now but maybe it won't in, in a couple of years time um so yeah I think he's definitely in the right place to do it I think he's got everything he's, he's got the best chance that anybody's ever had but yeah it could derail quite quickly and it, and it is it's still so difficult like 75 goals may not seem a lot but it is still quite a lot of goals. It's going to have to take him a couple of seasons to do it. Um, so yeah, he'll be interesting. I think he's in the right place, but I wouldn't like put my mortgage on him breaking it or anything like that. Seventy-five goals seems kind of flippant when you've racked up one hundred and eighty-five already, I guess. But Jake's right in the sense of like he's a twenty-nine-year-old striker who's had injury problems. Okay, not necessarily long term, but he has missed chunks of, of seasons um with Spurs in, in the not too distant past. So that impacts his, his goal scoring potential. But he is averaging upwards of 20 goals a season. So you think if he plays until he's 33, 34 um and and keeps scoring at the current rate, then he, he should get there um relatively comfortably. I'd still be on on the side of him and breaking it rather than not. Um, I think the interesting thing for me, having watched um, quite a bit of the, the Tottenham game before uh, leaving for Leicester's match on, on Saturday, is that he, he's dropping deeper and deeper, um, certainly compared to what I've seen him do. Um, 
in recent years. And I think that's interesting. Like he's picking the ball up in, in deeper positions now. And I, I just wonder if that kind of impacts his goal scoring potential a little bit in the sense of like, it might not, it might actually be a good thing for Spurs to kind of bring other players into play. And they've got this elite forward line that's pretty stacked now with Kulisevsky, with Charleston coming in this summer for competition. Obviously, Son's still there and was really prolific last year as well. Like, But I think maybe that's the the one thing that kind of stops him, his his role adapting as he gets older and potentially dropping into to deeper line um, positions, potentially 25 25 goals a season isn't a lock if you if you start playing a bit more like that. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to go full Wayne Rooney and start playing defensive midfield, but and he's got a long long way to go before he, he reaches that age because he is only 29. But it, you know, it, it's a very real possibility that his role adapts to um, kind of what what is best for the team and where he feels he's is the the most optimal and. With such a stacked forward line, there is a chance that he's not being relied upon to score 25 goals a season for Spurs to be successful um, in, in the league and, and get that top four position. So I think that's a, a really interesting kind of debate. And Kev, obviously, you'll know way more than me about that. But I just found that really interesting when we were talking about his, his goal tally and how that might kind of regress a little bit, even if Spurs' fortunes are kind of going in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, the the Mourinho year, because I think it only ended up being about one split between the two seasons. Um, and, and the first year under Conte was obviously sitting a lot deeper. I have noticed more and more this year that he's, he's sitting a little bit further forward as Son and Kulisevsky play alongside the midfield two, as opposed to last year when usually that was the wingbacks in line with the with the midfield two. So maybe that's, that's an attempt there. Uh, also, I do think that he'll get a lot more... Uh, set piece goals this year now that we've actually hired a set piece coach and that has gone very well thus far um but yeah i i agree with a lot of the points that you guys are making i i totally agree with the injury point jake like that is i think the thing that would really derail it because right now he's averaging 22 goals a season if you took his per 90 and multiplied it by 38 then it'd be closer to 25 but uh as you mentioned he, he already tends to miss a few matches a season um, so that doesn't seem super reliable, but if it was the 25, he only needs three seasons, which is taken to his age 32 season. If it's 22, obviously it adds, uh, extra partial year. I, I'm starting to feel more confident. I'm knocking on wood here, obviously, but, uh, it is pretty impressive. I think the one thing uh, that's not great is if you look at the trend line, and I think this is kind of what you were getting to a little bit, Jim, is that the assists have skyrocketed. And he's only scored more than 18 goals in a season once in the last four years. So that career average maybe isn't the most reliable thing. But if it's four, four or five years takes him to 33 and 34. And again, if, if he loses a spot, that would obviously change things. If his position changes, as you were saying, Jim, that changes things. But like, if all things held right now, I, I think it's more likely than not. But I'm obviously biased. These guys obviously raised some uh, excellent points and, and potential pitfalls there. But all in all, I, I think uh, I think it's probably likely. But <laughs> uh, again, knocking knocking on all the things personally. Uh, would you guys be excited if you saw somebody break that record, or is it or is it something that you just kind of view as as you know something that should stand for for some time longer? Uh, no, definitely. I'd like to see it broken, uh, even though if Shearer's record, I would thought I'd like it, especially for a player like Kane, you know, England captain. Um, he, I'd, you know, I'd much rather see Kane break it than I would somebody else. You know, it, like I would, I wouldn't have liked it as much if Aguero broke it. But um, yeah, Kane, he's, you know, 
it'd be a good be a good story and the records have to be broken at some point like it's 30 years the Premier League now I think Shearer needs to stop being the, the league's leading ever goal scorer especially as you know he didn't always he didn't play his whole career in the Premier League so you know that number would be higher had the, had he had the Premier League started earlier but um yeah I think Kane be a worthy worthy person to break the record and I'd, I'd quite like to say it yeah yeah, I think it's it's a fantastic story when someone breaks a record like that. Obviously, a bit the longevity, but I think the thing for me that's the most impressive and would be the kind of bigger part of that is that Kane hasn't been playing for Spurs' first team since he was 17, 18, like a Rooney who, who came through and broke onto the scene mm. very, very young and has been scoring goals. Like It took him a long, long time of, of loans and various kind of... Um, kind of experience gaining kind of spells in various places. And it was, a I think, a Europa League um, kind of campaign, wasn't it, Kev, where he was scoring a lot of goals and that kind of forced yeah. the manager's hand at the time to, to put him in the Premier League team. And yeah, OK, he's been a mainstay ever since. But the fact that he broke onto the scene relatively late and like if you'd have gone back to that season, I'm not sure anyone would have sat there and went, oh, here comes England's and potentially the Premier League's record <laughs> goal scorer. Um off the back of a, a Europa League campaign where he is, is knocked a few goals in. So I think that for me is kind of the wider story is just as interesting really as, as the record being broken and the way that he's gone about it. Like I think it's a fantastic kind of example to hold up to to players um, who, who might not necessarily find instant success in their careers. I guess it's a kind of a uh, a much kind of wider trend, but Jamie Vardy as well, like breaking into the Premier League and scoring a 100 goals after the age of 30, mm. like it can be done. Um, but yeah, the way that Kane has put together this career, which has not necessarily been the archetypal career of someone so prolific, is is just as interesting to me, I think, as the, the record itself being broken. And Jake's right, like Shearer did amazing things and was a fantastic goal scorer but I think it would be very apt in this day and age if a, a kind of modern player modern player um like Kane broke it and he's he's the only one with a, a realistic prospect right at, at the moment there's not anyone else on the, the scene who's is even really close so um this is probably our generation's chance to to see it broken um Otherwise, I think we're we're looking a lot further into the the future for someone to to again break into a team and be as prolific as that for, for so long. So, yeah, hopefully he gets it done in um, what twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six. But as long as he doesn't fall out of love with Spurs, which I don't think he will do now. Like Jake said, that the City move was his chance to move away, and that didn't work out for whatever reason. And I think he's he's set there now, and wouldn't be surprised if he was still leading the line at the age of 34. So very, very uh, reasonable prospect in, in breaking that record. I think you can be fairly confident Kevin is uh, not the son. All right. Well, uh, appreciate the very good news from you guys there. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, 
or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. All right, and we are back. Jake, we'll start off talking to you a little bit about Newcastle. We already touched on the win a bit in the opening, but I wanted to touch on an individual performance of Nick Pope because when you initially signed him, uh, not everybody assumed he was automatically going to be the starter. I saw some people compare it to Crystal Palace and whether or not um, Gaeta was going to lose his role pretty quickly. Uh, what have you made of the difference between Dubrovka and Nick Pope, especially after a match like today? Uh, yeah, we did draw here. I think you just said we won. So <laughs> it emotionally that. felt like a win. Yeah, it was an emotional win. Yeah, um, but yeah, Nick Pope, um, he's been excellent um, since he's come in. Um, he was very good at Brighton last week. Probably got us the point there. And then today, he's just, he's, I think he's the difference between him and Dubravka is that Dubravka's quite a good... He's a very good goalkeeper, but he's quite limited in his movement off his line. He doesn't. He's not the best aerially. He doesn't come out and you know sweep in the way that Pope did twice today. One um, against Gundogan and one against Haaland, the way he came out and, and managed to get you know, grab the ball uh, and relieve that pressure. Um, so yeah, he's just and he's a lot better at organising the set pieces, a lot better at coming off his line to, to claim. So I think he's just got a little bit more about him as a goalkeeper. Uh, not that Debrafka was, I think Debrafka is a very good Premier League goalkeeper, but you know he suited the way we played on the Benitez and Bruce sort of having so many men behind the ball, him being that last line of defence, be, being able to concentrate on on stopping shots. Whereas Howe now wants to play a little bit of a higher line. He wants the keeper to to come out and, and collect and be authoritative. And I think he's just, he's just a better fit for that. Um, I never had any doubt that he was going to start because I think Howe signed him for a reason. I think that he's not, if you're, he's a new, he didn't sign Dubravka. So the fact that he signed both always probably meant that he was going to be the one to start. He's been very, very good. I think that he's perhaps a little bit unfairly pigeonholed after playing for Burnley for so long. Um, there was a couple of times today where he sort of picked up the ball and, Distribute it so well to start counterattacks in a way that we never, we didn't really see him do at Burnley. So I think he's he's maybe got a little bit of unfair press to do with that. I don't think he's the best with his feet, but he's certainly not the the complete no hope for people painted about to be. Um, and he's very good at sort of throwing to distribute as well. So yeah, I've been really impressed with that part of his game. And as a shot stuffer, I don't think there's many better in the league. He he is just so so good. Um, and and that. In that part, we saw that a lot of Burnley. We're seeing it now with Newcastle. And I think that the way that he'll play for us and, you know, having the high line, being able to distribute a little bit more, I think that we will slowly see him um, get talked about more um, with England. I think that the only thing is that Pickford is so well-established and Ramsdale is playing for Arsenal. So, you know, both of those are going to be ahead of him, sadly. But... Yes, that's just the way it is. But I think that uh, Pope is definitely—he's uh, definitely well up there for me. Um, I—I've been very impressed with him so far, and uh, yeah, he's definitely—he's definitely taken the defense to a new level, uh, and it's helped with the way we play as well. But having the goalie that is, that is able to come off his line, I think, is, is really helping our transition to being a little bit more of a, a front foot team. Uh, I'll always, I think, we're changing our style, and. 
maybe he was never going to be the best fit for that once that had happened. And yeah, I think it was a, a good upgrade we made during the summer. And you know, first and foremost, keeper has to be good at saving shots, and, and Nick Pope is definitely that. But he's a lot more than that too. Mm. Yeah, obviously very impressive, and maybe someday England number one. <laughs> but you know, may, maybe not due to the loyalty to Pickford. But uh, Jamie's been making the case for years, and now I'm sure that that baton has been wholly passed to you. Um, at the whole other end of the pitch, obviously. Uh, Callum Wilson is super important for you. Apparently, uh, he was feeling his hamstring around halftime, still managed to play uh, up until about the 70th minute when he was taken out. Uh, how crucial is he to what you're trying to do there at Newcastle, and how damaging would it be if he had yet another injury to deal with? Yeah, he's very important. Um, he's, I don't think there's many better strikers in the penalty box than Callum Wilson. Um, I think maybe he's a little bit limited in other parts of his game, but as a... As a somebody in the box who, who's instinctive and can finish chances, there is nobody better. There's not many better. He's the perfect centre forward for Newcastle, where we are at the moment. Like, his goal against Forrest was sort of like a cross into the ball and he sort of flicked it in a way that w- was ridiculous over a defender and into the far post. And today we sort of, sort of take a poor touch on his knee, but to, to manoeuvre the ball in the way he did and finish with the outside of his boot, it was just such a good finish. And I think that he, he if he if he played... If he started 25 games um, in the Premier League, he'd get 15-plus goals quite easily. He, he, the only thing holding him back is his injury, sadly. Um, I'm not too worried about hearing that he, he felt his hamstring today. I think that play, you know, Wilson players like him are always going to have these little niggles. I think in the past, issue has been he's played through them. He's, he's pushed himself to the limit and he's got those more serious injuries. I think now, you know, the fact he got taken off early that they are managing it a little bit better so i'd expect to see him start next week but it is going to be important to manage him because that's something we didn't have in, in previous seasons we were so reliant on him that we sort of just pushed him through that through the safety zone and he, he picked up a serious injury so hopefully we've learned from that and we can manage him a little bit better i think we I think chris wood is a, is a fine premier league striker he, he can do a job um there's definitely a regression when he comes into the team, but he's, it's not like he's, he's completely hopeless. He's, I think he scored like 10 plus Premier League goals in three or four successive seasons for Burnley. So you can't do that w- without having something about you. And I think they'll probably sign another striker as well, or somebody that can play across the, the forward line. They're trying to get Jao Pedro from, from Watford and a, and a striker like that, a little bit younger, that won't you know be demanding to be in the team, but can also share Wilson's minutes, can mean that we're not so reliant on him and we can manage him better because if we do manage Wilson well and he, he maybe gets a couple of niggles but doesn't get that serious injury that, that he's had in previous years I think we will get a lot of goals out of him we've seen it already two, three games of the season he scored twice had a goal just loud against Brighton that maybe would have stood on another day so yeah he, he started the season in such great form um, he is very important and if we are a much better team with him in in it, it's, we saw it in the Arsenal game in the last season, the way he sort of bullied the Arsenal defence. Um, yeah, he's, he can be a complete menace. He's so difficult to deal with. Um, and just his pure quality in, in the in the penalty box means he's so important. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's nothing serious today and we can manage him a little bit better than we have in previous years. Um, and yeah, signing another forward would definitely help with that. 
That's well, you've just given me a, a guilt-edged segue there, uh, coming to Jim. Obviously, uh, Lester trying to replace Vardy as striker for years. Uh, he just gets another extension of his contract. I was going to say that that has to be like the one bright spot of the offseason, but given his age and how many times you have tried to kind of supplement him with Iehan Nacho, uh, Ahmed Musa back in the day, obviously Pat Sandaka came in uh, with kind of all of the stats bomb fans uh, approval last season. Is it viewed as exclusively a good thing that Vardy has been extended at this point? Obviously, you can still provide goals in your team. Obviously, from a club like loyalty and legend perspective, yes. Um, I think the more worrying thing is what that means for our finances. Um extending a current player and probably I think it might be kind of in an NFL term like a restructure of his deal because he had a year left or had like another year left so it's it's basically a one-year extension rather than two because one was already accounted for and potentially we were kind of hypothesizing at the weekend over whether the money's maybe gone down per week but it's been extended by another year so net it will earn a lot more um, over that two-year period because it wasn't necessarily assured that he'd get an extension um, when that contract was up, whether he'd want an extension, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, it, it's great that he's signed a new deal and he'll probably retire at Leicester now. And obviously there's the, all the jokes about his wife's legal bills needing to be paid, et cetera, et cetera, um, off the back of this contract. The, the timing obviously is very convenient for that. Um, however, it, it does kind of read more life into the theory that there isn't the money there to spend on other areas of the squad or, or kind of other additions, which kind of brings us to a, a kind of situation that we're in now where two of, two of our key players probably aren't there in, in a month's time, uh, in Euro Tielemans and Wesley Fofana, and we may not have much money to replace them because of some deals that we did last year and the year before like Yannick Vestergaard, Ryan Bertrand, uh, Patson Dakar and Bubakar Samare, who are on big wages and are nowhere near, in three out of four of those cases, nowhere near a starting eleven. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a tricky situation. And yeah, it's great that Vardy's signed an extension, but ultimately I think it's just kind of adding to the frustration in some areas of the camp that um, that we've not got any kind of there's no budget there for, for fresh faces to add any depth to a squad that have really struggled in that department um, in, in the last couple of years and, and kind of fallen over the line um, when trying to juggle multiple competitions and commitments. Yeah, you kind of alluded to it there. There there seems to be a lot of frustration going around, maybe <laughs> even within the, the building itself in terms of what the recruitment is, is lately. And it's not just bringing in players, it's also the fact that you have Players like Tielemans on the bench. You have players like Fafana not able to start because his head isn't in the right place. Uh, just what <laughs> you know, this is, might seem like a reductive question, but what is going on at Leicester right now? It's super frustrating. Um, from what I understand, and obviously we we don't know behind the scenes, but from what I can surmise, we have overpaid significantly for fringe players in the last eighteen months, two years and pumped a load of money into a best-in-class training ground that costs over £100 million to, to build. Um, obviously, that's a good thing for the club's future. But, similar, I mean, it's a much smaller project. But in the same way that Tottenham had to have a couple of lean years to, to pay for the stadium, um, when you're financing some of that yourselves and, and kind of, you know, you've got to balance the books, 
that Seagrave training ground is also going to need to be paid at some point. You can't write off all of that 100 million. Um, you can write some bit off, from what I understand. I'm not a football finance expert by any means or, or close to it, but you can write some bit off because it's investment in infrastructure. However, that doesn't allow you to write off 100 million pounds of of, um, of costs uh, plus, you know, and whatever else. But yeah, so the recruitment who well it's not the same staff anymore there's been a few changes but the recruitment used to be something less that did exceptionally well like we were lauded as this team that could find an Angola Kante, a Riyad Mahrez, a Jamie Vardy for for relatively little money who came in with smash hits not necessarily straight away but within a couple of years and then went on to be worth you know 5, 10, 15, 20 times what what their initial value was in transfer fees and upwards of that so it's disappointing that the, the recent additions haven't worked out the more frustrating thing is the way that it's tied our financial hands behind our back to to kind of um, expand and develop the, the squad that we've got now because the issue is that Brendan Rodgers spoke about a refresh in April, May time at the end of last season and there were some really good quotes actually um from from talk sports reporter who asked him quite pointedly in the thursday press conference in the build-up to the, the southampton game you know what's changed and brendan basically said that he had gone on his summer holidays spent most of those summer holidays convincing players to join the club under the assumption and the the kind of he's been led to believe there was money came back and that had all changed now i can't imagine how frustrating that is to line deals up over your summer to come back to be told there's no money to execute those deals and for then to us, for us to um, see Casper Schmeichel leave, who's the club captain, the, the number one for the last decade, um, a mainstay of our team and a big character in the dressing room, and then not to replace him um, in any meaningful way and just to kind of give the job to, to Danny Ward, who has been a good number two and very patient backup, played well in cup competitions, et cetera, et cetera. But he's not a Premier League number one. Um, he's just not. And we've seen players like Nick Pope move this summer. We've seen Dean Henderson go on loan to Nottingham Forest, who, who could have been a candidate if we'd have known we were in need of a, a number one. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really frustrating time. And I think you can see in Brendan Rodgers' press conferences and, and the way that he's answering questions from the media, he's kind of just, he's sick to the back teeth of it. And he's starting to let people know. Now, that doesn't normally end well because he's not getting results either. So if there's this sniping at the board and the, the financial kind of side of it, like he's always going to be publicly very supportive of his, his immediate superiors, right? But the way that he's phrasing his answers now about being assured there was money, situations changing, having to work with players, the fans being frustrated and understanding that frustration because there aren't new faces, that's what fans get excited about and spoke about the need to freshen up a squad. Um, yeah, it's... It's starting to get pretty dark pretty quickly in the East Midlands at the moment. It's it's going to be an interesting few weeks, especially with the results being as poor as they are. It's um, I I don't know if he's going to be around that much longer. Genuinely, I could I can see it only lasting another few weeks, maybe a couple of months. Do you think it would be a result that would do it, or at the end of the window, if still no one's come in, like like is this a you can't fire me, I quit situation, or is he, he won't quit? He won't quit because he's he's the fourth highest paid manager in the league, and if you if you're the fourth highest paid manager in the league, you don't quit. You wait to be fired, and the severance package that goes with it, um, you wait it out, and you blame or you keep 
you keep harping back to the, the lack of frustration, the lack of investment from, from this window, despite the fact that he's had plenty of money in the past and it's just not gone right. Um, and we still can't defend set pieces. So that doesn't help. Um, and he has to take a, a serious portion of blame. I'm not saying he's he's the only candidate in this, but yeah, it won't. It will be a series of results. Um, like we've got Stockport in the week, which uh, in a, in a League Cup game, which is um, obviously it should be a gimme win. But again, under this kind of pressure, having not got a win yet this season, that becomes more of a banana skin than it would <clears throat> if you started three out of three. And we then have quite a difficult run. We've got Manchester United, um, as good as bad as they might be. You know, they're going to keep improving. They're going to keep signing players. We've got Chelsea um, coming up in a week or in a bit. And then we've got Brighton, who are this under the radar slash maybe not so under the radar anymore package who are, are, are turning up big results. So if you're winless after six games into a new season and potentially bottom of the league or close to it, and there's an international break looming in a couple more weeks after that. Like things could get very dicey very quickly, I think. Gotcha. All right. Well, now we'll head into Player Watch where we can kind of continue this Leicester conversation with you, Jim, <laughs> because of the aforementioned Fofana, who obviously wants the move to Chelsea. Uh, and then also Telemans, who maybe is not starting also because of long-standing Arsenal. Move anyway. Seems like they haven't really <laughs> <laughs> fair. Where it seems they haven't really made a move anyway. Uh, do we think both of them are still going to be around at the end of the window? And then Jake, when we come to Newcastle, who who do you think might be in, on the way out there as well? Um, so Fafana, I think will go. Um, if you are in a position where you can't even be named in the squad because your head isn't in the right place, that's as much as forcing a transfer as you can possibly do, in my opinion. Um, obviously, that's a decision that he and Brendan are taking together. Um, but it's ultimately his his call to, to put himself out there and say, look, I'm not in the right frame of mind for this. Um, Chelsea, I mean, if, as if any further fuel to their centre-back need needed to be added today, you see Koulibaly get sent off um, for having the turning circle of the titanic um you know he, he got done twice on just a quick move spin move basically um you know but they've obviously that's a very expensive acquisition as well and like they've, they've they've paid money to get him into the club but and they clearly they clearly need defensive reinforcements and and a younger uh potential kind of backup or or, or starter in that team with tiago silva and and kudabali as as two of their center backs so uh, I think Fofana will end up going because Leicester have two options now. We either sell or we don't. And if we don't, you've got a player who's ostracised himself from the squad and doesn't necessarily seem to have the maturity yet to work his way back in. Does that mean that he sits out for like months at a time? Would you rather not just bank the money? But I think that this weekend, the price probably dropped. 10, 15 million in terms of what we'd expect. Like the fact that he's ruled himself out of the game and Chelsea now know that the ball's very much in their court. Like they're in the driving seat here to make a bid that we find acceptable, which has probably come down in cost because of the fact that he's essentially going to go on strike until he gets his move. Um, the problem for us is that I don't know how much of that money's left available. So like how much of it needs to be there to just service the books generally and how much of it's there for a replacement. We certainly don't have anyone in the squad at the moment to replace him directly to any decent level. So I would hope there'd be reinforcements coming in, but who that is, I don't know. 
Um, Tielemans is a bit of a weird one. Like he's essentially on a free in the summer if we if he doesn't sign an extension. Um, so I could see him staying and just playing out the last few months of his contract and leaving on a free. If that's what he does, then then so be it. Unlike Fafana, he hasn't signed a five-year contract and then decided he'd like to leave, um, which is the way with footballers. You, you ensure your value is high by signing a contract. That doesn't necessarily mean you're there for any longer than is necessary. Um, I could see Tielemans staying and obviously he was on the bench and came on and played. Like He's still one of the best players we've got. So I would like him to stick around for a bit longer, even if it just means he leaves on a free. Um, but again, plenty of clubs, plenty of big clubs in, in the Premier League are probably panicking a little bit about their start to the season um, and could potentially snap up what I would consider to be a bargain at you know, 15, 20 million, which is probably all he'd command given that he's got no time left on his contract whatsoever. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully not, but I, there could be, I could easily see the scenario that both of them are gone by the end of the window, for sure. Gotcha. And Jake, any any players that you think will depart St. James Park here by the end of the window? Um, I don't know about players going out. Eddie Howe seemed to be fair that he, he didn't think anybody was going to... He, he wasn't expecting anybody to go. Um, we saw Bruno get linked to Real Madrid last week, but that, that was quickly shot down, so I don't think that will happen. Um, might Maybe see... We've probably got to move on a keeper. We've got four keepers and we, we don't need that many. So you might see Kyle Darlow or Martin Dubrovka leave. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about Leicester being it, it's possible for, for Dubrovka, but I don't think that will happen. So maybe We've got three forward. keepers already, so yeah. I, don't think we're, I don't think we're bringing... We just signed Alex Smithies. He's our only signing this Woo. season to be a number three. So, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. No, he might go somewhere else. He, 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 I think he wants first two football, so he might go go abroad somewhere. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't expect anybody to leave. It's more likely that we're going to be signing players before the end of the month than we are so, uh, selling players. Gotcha. All right, uh, well, we'll wrap up here with match previews. Uh, we'll start off with you, Jake, going to be facing Tranmere uh, in the Carabao Cup. I guess this is kind of a general question for both of you, but how seriously do you think uh, Newcastle will be taking the Cups this season and how strong of a team do you think we'll see midweek? Uh, yeah, I think that we'll be taken quite seriously. Eddie Howe spoke about how he wants to win a Cup. So I definitely think that's, that he, he'll be putting out a strong team. It won't be our best team. I think there'll be you know, chances for for Chris Woods, maybe Matt Ritchie will play. Um, um, Sean Longstaff and Elliot Anderson may, may get a game too. Um, Dubravka, who we just spoke about, possibly may come in. I, I guess with Tram, maybe you've got a little bit more leeway to make those wholesale changes. Whereas I think when we are coming up against better teams, I think you'll be taking it seriously. I think that Newcastle have to, you know, we've got to try and finish as high as we can in the league, but the Cups offer a great um, avenue into Europe. They also, you know, we haven't won a trophy in a long time. You've got that, that to to motivate you as well and I think in the season like this one with you know the Champions League clubs the Europa the teams in Europe gonna have, have played so many matches they're you know they might not be that interested in the Carabao Cup so it might be the perfect year for a, a team like Newcastle or Leicester to really go for that cup um yeah I think we'll, we'll be serious about it and we, we've seen today that we can go up against Manchester City and give them a game so we really should get in these cup competitions, the one-off game against anybody, we've got a good chance, especially if those 
Tough clubs do rest a lot more players. So, yeah, I think we're going to go for it. Probably going to make a lot more changes for the Tramley game just because a Premier League club should be able to make 11 changes in in against a League 2 club and still win, especially with the way that, that football's going and the gap's growing between the lower leagues and the Premier League. Um, so, I'd expect a lot of changes, but I'd expect us to win the game. And, yeah, hopefully we... Uh, we get a kind route through to the to the latter stages. Um, but yeah, even if we did draw a City or a Liverpool, I'd, I'd maybe have a little bit more confidence that we can beat them in the Carabao Cup. I think it'll be, that's the competition that I think will be easier to win um, than the FA Cup, purely just because of the build-up against for the clubs in Europe. Gotcha. And Jim, kind of similar question there for you as you face Stockport, which you kind of mentioned there earlier. Yeah, um, obviously... <laughs> I think Jake's, Jake's absolutely right. You should be able to make 11 changes um, and, and beat a team from the fourth tier, which Stockport are as well. They're, they've not started very well this season um, and uh, uh, kind of towards the bottom of, of League Two. Um, I would be surprised if Rogers didn't make quite a lot of changes, even though the, the pressure is kind of on. It, it is a bit of a lose-lose situation for him in the sense of like, his detractors will say we should have won that game anyway if he makes 11 changes and we win. And anything less than that is going to be cataclysmically bad um, for for his prospects long term. Um, because Jake's absolutely right. And I think Newcastle are prime candidates for something like the Carabao Cup this year because, yes, they want to finish as high as they possibly can. And so do Leicester. However, winning for, for Eddie Howe, like winning a trophy if you ever needed to kind of show the ambition of the club under this new ownership and the way that they're going about things, winning a trophy is kind of like the launch pad, the stepping stone towards trying to get into to, to Europe and, and becoming a more established top team with, with real financial might and, and kind of high quality players. So in the same way that, you know, Leicester, Leicester's recent kind of trophy hall has been, been bolstered by the FA Cup, like, we should take things seriously, and I hope Brendan Rodgers does. Um, it's just kind of difficult to get away from the feeling that it's a bit of a... It's a you, he's always going to be onto a loser, I think, in this game, whatever happens. Like, if we win, we win well. Like, people will just say, well, yeah, we should shrug off a team four divisions below us. Um, but if he, if and if it's difficult, then it just kind of adds more, more fuel to the fire. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes. He probably heavily rotates even if it's just a bit of a wave of call to the, the starting 11 um, so you'll probably see Daka and Ianacho get a game um, Daniel Iverson might start in goal because um, Danny Ward has started the season as the, the number one um, literally and figuratively but he hasn't covered himself in glory and uh, the story pre-season was that it was a genuine shootout between the two of them um, so potentially that's an opportunity for him to show what he can do um, and yeah, I, I'm not really sure on the defence because they haven't been particularly good this season anyway. So I'm not sure whether it's better to keep them in or, or to change them. But um, we've not exactly got the, the deepest squad in terms of quality um, backups there. So we'll have to see. I think it's just one of those where you just kind of hide behind the sofa and cover your eyes when every time you see the, the, the goal alerts come in and just hope that it's, it's going in the direction that you wanted, get past it and move on to, to the uh, small matter of Manchester United and, and Chelsea. Gotcha. All right. Well, we will leave the show there for the day. So if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. 
Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, you get me on Twitter at jessjaffner with two ends, and I'll post anything that I'm involved in over there. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to be back. Um, you can get me on Twitter at JimNightTweets. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. And as always, if you have any questions, you can feel free to email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Thanks again to both Jake and Jim for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. 